0: Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. In the 1930s, um, Nazi Germany was kind of taking over and they were leading with this ideology um, that was more cruel and more hateful. And during that time, um, they had to have churches compromise. So churches that were saying Jesus is Lord, um, they would have to change their theology or they'd have to compromise their doctrines so that they would um, be behind this Nazi ideology. And so at that time, so many churches, because of the compromise, there was this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, along with a few others, but Bonhoeffer saw that pastors were not theologically trained. He saw that pastors were incapable of standing strong in the reality that Jesus is enough and that they didn't know how to practice the way of Jesus. And so Bonhoeffer um, created this little seminary slash like monastic movement in this place called Finkelwald. And what he would do is he would just have pastors come, and they would live life together. He wrote a book called Life Together, where it kind of maps this out. And in this this place, they would just practice the way of Jesus. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to fasting, to silence and solitude, and they shared everything together. They were creating a minority. They were creating a culture that was counter to the ideologies and the forceful way that was around them. And so there was a family friend of Bonhoeffer. His name was Wilhelm Neisel. And Neisel was a little bit concerned that Bonhoeffer's ways were a bit too radical and that that could actually cause damage to the gospel. And so Neisel came and Bonhoeffer took him in a boat. They went across this river. And when they got to their side, they went up this hill that overlooked a Nazi youth training camp. And seeing this Nazi youth training camp, there were planes that were taking off, planes that were landing, there were tanks going around, and just these little ants of people running around in perfect formation. And in that moment, they were realizing that there is a new youth, a new generation that's being raised up, and they're being discipled into a kingdom of darkness and cruelty. And in that moment, Bonhoeffer turned to Nizel, and he said, what we do needs to be stronger than that. The love that we have in Jesus, the life that we live as followers of Jesus needs to be stronger than the ideologies, than the culture, and the ways that would be formed in the world around us. And I say this story just to set up and frame what's happening here in Colossians 4, because up until this point, the church in Colossa, they have had all of these ideologies, all of these different ways and culture that have been shaping them and pressuring them to live and think that Jesus isn't enough. And so what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae is that what you do, the supremacy of Jesus, the enoughness of Jesus, the way that you live that out needs to be stronger than the world around you. And so Paul, just like Bonhoeffer, was saying we need to live a counter-cultural, counter-narrative to the world around us. What we do must be stronger than the world around us. And so the reason why I set this up is um, because Paul does this thing that's beautiful. He says, there is something true about you, therefore live it out. It's called the indicative imperative, as theologians call it. Paul does this in all of his letters. He always starts off with, this is who you are. It's indicative. You are loved. You are created in the image of God. You are in Christ. You are forgiven. This is who you are. And before he says that you can do anything else you should do anything else, It's always rooted in your identity. And I want to start with that because we don't earn God's love. We don't work and we don't transform the world or live in a way that the world can see us so that God will love us. We always start with the truth. You are loved. And so Paul starts off with the indicative. And then in Colossians 4, as where we're at right now, it's the imperative of now live like this in such a way that the world sees you and they're asking questions. And so I actually want to start the way that Paul starts. In Colossians 1, and I want to start with this about you, Light Church, because this is indicative, this is true about you. He says in verse uh, 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Like I've heard of your faith. I have heard of your love. I've heard of the hope that you have that's stored up in heaven. And part of that's because of my proximity to Benji and Jen, but um, I have a friend who moved from where I live down to Encinitas and started to check out Light Church. It was like one of the first or second times she was here visiting. And what she noticed was there was someone, someone, one of you guys, sitting on the curb, talking to someone who was homeless, just giving them dignity, just having a conversation. She said that small act of love showed her that this is a place that looks like Jesus. This is a place that she can call home. Like, this is your reputation. You are a church of love. You are a church of faith, and the world sees it. I see it. So what I want to say is what you are doing is stronger than the world out there. So Bonhoeffer, like Paul, It's just saying, let's live a life that's different. Let's live a life that is counterforming the world around us so that the world around us looks and they're compelled by it. And they say, what is different about you? So Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says this, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So as Paul's just saying, like, hey, here's how you live to the outside world, he starts off by saying, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Now, the word for devoted in Greek is is two words um, put together. It's pros and katerero. And these two words put together mean to have a steadfast, enduring strength. And so what he's saying is be steadfast in prayer, endure in prayer, have strength in prayer. Now, what he's saying is he's, he's assuming that we're going to build our lives around prayer. He's assuming that we're going to take an active position. We're not just going to pray sometimes. We're not just going to pray here or there or before a meal. But he's saying that we're going to create disciplines and rhythms in our life. That are gonna be around this habit of prayer. And so, and he's calling us to endure in it. This is formation language. He's saying, be formed in prayer. And as you be formed in prayer, he says, do it staying awake, or being watchful, and do it thankfully, with gratitude. Gosh, so there's two ways that in our culture right now that's super countercultural it is to be awake and it is to be grateful. And just speak for me personally. Um, In this season, I feel more like I'm discouraged. I feel more apathetic than I ever have before. Um, I can look at everything around me and just see what's wrong. And it's hard to be grateful in moments like this. And Paul is just reminding them, while you pray, while you look to God, be awake and be grateful. And so Paul is landing his letter to live a life in a way that Jesus calls us. And he just has, I'm gonna highlight three points that just live practicing gratitude, live participating in prayer, and live as a person of influence. N.T. Wright says that if Paul is teaching about thanksgiving, then he's teaching about thanksgiving. Um, just a fun little play on words, that there is a way that we can live that goes against the grain of the world, and that's thankfulness. And I want to say that thankfulness, living a life of gratitude, is actually the door to the rest of the life of Jesus. I mean, we can't follow Jesus and we can't affect the world with change unless we live with gratitude. As, we, as we're grateful, um, we reorient, reorient our mind. Um, in Colossians 3, at the very beginning, he says, set your mind on things above. I mean, this is what he's talking about. It gives us a new perspective. Benji, a couple weeks ago, talked about perspective. And he says that the heavenly perspective changes our earthly realities. So as this perspective shift happens, there's an overflow into an attitude of joy, to an attitude of kindness and humility, to gentleness and wisdom and love. I mean, as we practice gratitude, the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us. We live as changed people because we're noticing where God is. Um, The Greek word for thankfulness is this word eucharisto. And Eucharisto, you might be familiar, it sounds like Eucharist or what we call the Lord's Supper. And that is just a time where we remember God, what he did on the cross, and we're grateful for it. And so he's saying, live a life of gratitude that's steeped in the reality that Jesus has paid it all and everything in life is a gift. And so gratitude is is not something we just fall into. I don't know if you're like me, but I I just don't fall into it. I'm more prone to cynicism. I'm more prone to see what's wrong in the world. So this has to be a practice. We have to be intentional, or as we've all heard it said, count your blessings. Um, Gratitude is experienced through intentional practice over time in our everyday life. So Gratitude needs to be practiced. We need to put that into practice. Ronald Rollheiser says that the first exercise that we must do to restore our contemplative faculty to its full power is to work at receiving everything life, health, the people around us, love, friendship, food, drink, sexuality, and beauty, receiving that all as gift. Becoming a more grateful person is the first and most important step in overcoming the practical atheism that besets our everyday lives. Gratitude overcomes practical atheism. It takes our beliefs and it puts it into practice. The reality of us is that so many of us just believe in our minds like, yes, God is real. I believe that God loves me. Um, I believe that I am in Christ and therefore I'm a new creation. We believe these things in our mind, but if we were to look at the everyday moments of our life, they go largely untouched. That's practical atheism where we still live our lives going around to other people saying, will you love me? And we go around to other people and just saying like, hey, affirm me because that's going to give us some sense of worth. Or we wait until we can get that one promotion or finally reach that dollar amount and that's going to make us feel satisfied or fulfilled. Or if we just white knuckle and grit our teeth and have some stubborn tenacity that we can change the world or change people. That is living as a practical atheist where in our minds we affirm Christ is enough. But in our lives, we're still saying, but I'm I'm enough. Gratitude is a way that we can fight practical atheism. Practicing gratitude is a way, to put another way, it's a way of experiencing or or knowing experientially what is true about us theologically. It helps us become present to the moment that God is with us now. My spiritual director, Bill Doctrine, says that we can only experience God where we are. And so with that, God is here. Will we be present with him? And as we're present to him with us, will overflow out of us is a life that is grateful, that's full of joy, that is content. And the watching world will say, what is different about you? So Paul says, be devoted in prayer, watchful and grateful. And then he calls them to pray for him. So point number two, he says, live participating in prayer. Now notice this. I think this is actually really fascinating. Um, this church is a young church. Now they were known for their love. They were known for their faith. They were known um, as a people of hope, yet they, they didn't know everything. Um, Paul's writing this letter because the church was being inundated by all of his ideologies. This church was threatened to compromise the gospel. This church had things that they had to put off, like sexual morality and greed and imp- passions and impurities and And he says, you need to put on this new life. So they had things that that they needed to have addressed. They were a young church that didn't know everything. And as they're reading this letter aloud in this church, I can imagine sitting there and there's a slave and a slave master right in front of me. There's a a husband and a wife and people of different ethnic backgrounds. And it's a bit confusing because it's all new, but we're living in this new family. And I, I imagine sitting there being like, I just don't know enough. I'm still figuring this out. Or I could think even like I don't have enough theology or I don't have enough education or I haven't been following Jesus long enough. And Paul's resounding answer throughout the book of Colossians is Jesus is enough. Wherever you are on the spectrum of following Jesus, whether you're the lead pastor of Light Church or if this is your first time and you've just met Jesus, Paul is assuming that because you know Jesus, you are in Christ. That is in your new identity, that your prayers matter. That what you say, what you do, how you pray has authority in heaven. So he's saying it doesn't, if you're disqualifying yourself, it's, it's us disqualifying ourselves. God doesn't disqualify us. In fact, he's saying step into the new reality that you are in Christ And I think what also blows my mind is that Paul, he says, pray for us also so that doors may be open. I mean, he's attaching the effectiveness of his ministry to the devoted prayers of this young church. And so I just wanna say that if there's anybody who just feels like I'm not enough, I don't know enough, I haven't been following Jesus long enough, I just wanna say Christ is enough. Like you are beloved by God. You're chosen and he wants to use your life to um to change the world god loves to partner with his people he loves to partner with his people to bring light and redemption into the world around him this is who you are there was this recent barna study that came out that says um, christians um, based off the world's perception christians are known to be too extreme hypocritical and irrelevant I mean, what a triage of descriptions, right? You are extreme, hypocritical, and irrelevant. And this got me thinking, because I'm like, I don't know if I I personally uh, identify with that, but I, I can see areas where I'm like, oh, I see how people are too extreme, or I see how Christians have missed it. And it got me thinking, like, what if the world's view on Christianity isn't a judgment on us obeying Jesus, but rather the result of us ignoring Jesus? I mean, because what does someone who follows Jesus with their entire life look like? I mean, truly, I think it looks like someone sitting on the curb, talking to a homeless person before church. I think it looks like someone who's practicing gratitude in their life in a way that overflows to the world around them. I think it looks like someone who's content and confident in their identity because they know that Christ is enough. They don't need to earn it anywhere else. I think that it's people who are just genuinely spending time in prayer, trusting that God is with them and listens to them. They don't protest the world, they don't reject the world, um, they don't hate the world, but rather they pray for the world. I think it looks like people who go above and beyond to under, other, understand someone else's point of view, even if that other person doesn't agree. I think it's someone who asks for forgiveness a lot because we realize we're not perfect. I think it's someone who uses their words to build up and to honor rather than tear down. I think it looks like someone who has the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of them, where they're just a person of love. They're a person of gentleness. They're a person who sees others. I think this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And, and if we were to see more people like that, wouldn't we look at them and say, man, what's different about you? What is different about your life? when we live in a way that says the narrative, the truth of Christ in us is stronger than the narratives around us, the world looks and they wonder what's different. So Paul continues in five and six and he says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want to pause for a second, and I, I, I want to acknowledge something, because I don't know about you, but when we kind of get into this conversation about living in a way that the world will see us, um, some of us might feel triggered. Some of us might have this image that comes up of people standing by the pier with yellow signs and yelling through megaphones, or we might have the image of people who are blasting social media um, with this false confidence of being behind a screen and they're using the Bible or they're using God language as a way of tearing down and being hateful rather than building up and speaking truth in love. Or you have the image of your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving, right? We all have a crazy uncle. And I want to I realize that um, many of us have this aversion to this topic because of these very real experiences. And so in, if that's you, I just want to say I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that people have misrepresented Jesus. Um, I realize how I've missed it so often. um, And I'm sorry that someone has hurt or damaged your view of Jesus. And I want to actually pastorally just invite you to look at Jesus in a new way. So let me just highlight some of Paul's words here. He says, be wise. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Earlier, he says, live a life of gratitude, characteristics of Jesus. These are all characteristics of Jesus. And then before that, in Colossians 3, he says, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and above all of that, put on love. And so if your image is of someone who is more forcefully pushing Jesus in an intense way, I just want to say, I don't think that's what Paul or Jesus is getting at. I think he's actually talking about us living in a way that's so compelling and influential, full of the love and fruit of the spirit that the world is gonna be like, there's something different about you. He's calling us to live in such a way that's influential. And so the final point is live as a person of influence. John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York and he writes in his book, A Creative Minority, he says the word influence is derived from a Latin root word, which means flow. This flowing does not connote power, coercion, or control. It suggests effortlessness. We want to influence others by being ourselves, where such creativity comes out of our community, it comes out of light, that people are drawn to it. Redemptive participation means that we do not hate the world, we don't protest it, but we're participating in it with a vision of the way of Jesus. I love that. So to act wisely towards outsiders is to live in the world as people of love, to walk in a secure identity, not ebbing to and fro, trying to find our satisfaction or our worth in anything else, but to live in gratitude, knowing that Jesus is enough. Finally, this guy, Mel Lorenz, he's a pastor and an author, and he writes on spiritual leadership, but just this one piece, he says, just think of the effect if massive numbers of believers woke up to their potential to exercise spiritual influence in the schools where they teach, in the boardrooms where they deliberate, in the clinics where they care for people's health, in the churches where they serve, in the assemblies where they legislate, or in the homes where they raise their children. I mean, this living out the reality of Christ in you changes everything around you. And that's what Paul is talking about. You are beloved. You are in Christ. Christ is your life. You are forgiven. And because of that, live in such a way that Christ is in you, that it flows to the world around you. That's how we live in a way where the world says, what is different about you? And we have the answer. It's hope. It's the hope that Jesus has given us. It's the truth that we are forgiven. It's the reality that Christ is now our life, and we get to walk with that kind of authority. This isn't passive. We don't just passively kind of receive this. This is an active putting on, living into, and orienting our lives in a way that looks like Jesus. And so Paul calls the church in Colossae, and I think he calls Light Church and he calls the church to practice gratitude, to live participating in prayer and to live as people of influence. What we do, how we live must be more compelling than the narrative of the world around us. Light Church, you're already doing this. I mean, this is already true about you. And so my pastoral desire is just to echo Paul's words to continue to remain devoted in these things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Light Church and just the example that they are to the world. Thank you that this is a church that's known for their love. This is a church known for their faith, that there is Encinitas, there's San Diego that's looking different because of the people that you have placed here. God, would you help us to learn how to orient our lives in a new way um, around the reality that Jesus, you're enough. God, I just pray that you even help heal maybe some of the images we have of um, living in a way that might've been forceful or in a way that might've hurt our friends or our family or even ourselves. Would you show us, Jesus, your way of loving the world? And would we walk in that way? We love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.